Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hello, and welcome back to Combat Chronicles. I'm Kyle Mack. First and foremost, apologies for the lack of episode last week. Um, quite frankly, I didn't find last week's UFC card too compelling to talk about. Uh, we've got a fair amount to talk about today because it's been a massive weekend of combat sports. Uh, even given the fact that I found myself quite lethargic in terms of my fandom because, uh, believe it or not, there's something way more important happening in uh, Europe at the moment. Don't want to get too much into it because this isn't a political podcast. So let's try and talk about some fights and take our minds off the far more deadly fights that are taking place. But yeah, last week's UFC card didn't compound me too much. We didn't find it too interesting. I mean, Johnny Walker and Jamal Hill, I actually found it quite compelling going in because it's one of them fights for me where we could basically dismiss one guy as a contender going forward. And for always, all the talk of uh, Johnny Walker's training with SPGI, obviously his last fight, he was tepid to the point he made Adesanya and Romero look like a war. And this time he sort of skirted around throwing naked low kicks. Didn't really do much. Corralled himself into the cage. Panicked. Fell over his front foot, threw a punch. Got twatted. He just bloody fell over. So yeah, that was that. Uh, Johnny Walker, who I've got a soft spot because I chatted to him once, just randomly, really nice guy, just randomly called me on my blower and was like, oh, I'm Johnny Walker, you interview me? And I said, yeah, sure, I'll get round to it at some point, and never did. Um, but doesn't mean he's not a nice guy, doesn't mean that he's not somewhat of a fun fighter. Um, unfortunately, the, the fun aspect seems to have been sucked out of him. Uh, going forward, Jamal Hill, interested to see him fight again. Um, always interested to see anyone at 205, it could be somewhat interesting. Uh, he's still a guy who, who lost to Paul Craig, so... Take that as you will. Um, he also come out this week and started... I, I agree with him 100% that people sort of shit-talking Johnny Walker online and messaging him directly uh, are pricks. There's no need for it. Um, but the whole, you live in your mum's basement is a well-worn trope. Um, we know nowadays that trolls come in all shapes and sizes. Do better in terms of your own trash talk, Mr. Hill. Um, in terms of doing better in terms of talk, Josh Taylor this week... Yes, we're going straight to boxing. Um, Josh Taylor this week spoke some utter shit after his fight with Jack Carroll, which for me personally is an abject robbery. Indication again that United Kingdom is the very worst place to try and win a decision, even if you are 
uh, from the UK yourself. They always choose an A side going in, and, and that's what's that's what's going to win. But the Josh Jack Carroll fight was somewhat compelling watching it unfold in real time because it was unexpected. Just for those that are unaware, this is a fight for all four titles at low weight. Josh Taylor, who most people see as one of the top 10 pound-for-pound fighters, and in my eyes, in terms of what he's already achieved, one of the 25 best lightweight weights that's ever lived in terms of the uh, the level of his competition. The four bouts is certainly impressive. Um, I think it says a lot about the division that we've had two four-bout champions in the space of the last, what, five years. Um, not being particularly stacked, but the fact of the matter is, top heavy or not, Josh Taylor beat some quality fighters and looked to be a quality champion. Um, always been massive at lightweight. Uh, looked like he was going to move up uh, after this fight. Catterall for me, and let's, let's dial this back. I'm not going to be one of these guys who's an after time. But I'll tell you straight up. Thought this was a mismatch going in. Never really rated Catterall on the domestic or sort of European scene. A quote unquote slick fighter who boxed in a way which was given the impression of slickness a, a, a trait I don't really like quite basic offensively relatively fast a lot of movement was never particularly sold on him um, at world level and felt that Taylor would rinse him which begs the question what the fuck happened Taylor looked lethargic Catterall with a pretty basic approach stepping round to his right Far off one twos, the odd dig to the body seemed to completely befuddle Josh Taylor. Josh Taylor didn't really get going until the midway point. We're going to talk about the scorecards in a minute, but let's talk about how the fight unfolded first. Taylor was sort of following him around, following Carroll around. He wasn't really able to get anything meaningful going. Uh, he probably had an argument to one of the first four rounds, if you're being generous. Taylor was doing a weird thing where he's sort of stepping him with a jab and missing it and... and Correctly using that missed opportunity to frame off with his lead hand, obviously his close stance, two southpaws. He'd frame off and then Carroll would take a step back and Taylor would do nothing whatsoever. Take the initiative. Wasn't able to build or even... Sorry, wasn't able to sustain any meaningful offence, so he wasn't able to build any. Carroll was landing the, the sharpest shots. Uh, and for me, maybe the first clear round for Taylor would have been round seven, maybe. It was a messy fight. Uh, generally, lots of clinching. After that midway point, Carroll's clinching got bad to the point that he actually started sort of getting a like a headlock and turning his whole body away, which was negative body language to me. Wouldn't look good to the judges. But then he caught Josh Taylor, I think, in the ninth round with two uh, sort of left crosses and dropped him. Now, for me, I can't really remember Josh Taylor. But he's been stung a few times. He faced some good fighters, um, some really good punches. I can't remember him ever being down. Um, as I say, he looked lethargic. I think he had COVID before this. Um, he apparently suffered some sort of knee injury that postponed the fight. I remember it being postponed. I couldn't remember the reasons. Just Taylor's not a very compelling personality to me. I don't really follow his career outside. You know, someone tells me he's fighting. I'm there. I'm, I'm sat there watching. I, I love watching him fight. He's a quality fighter. But in terms of him as, as a person, I find him pretty uncompelling. Not because he's boring, but for the wrong reasons, which we'll get into. For me personally, uh, Taylor going into maybe the 10th round was lucky to have won two. Uh, Carroll did get a point deducted for, for the clinching, although Taylor had been roughhousing loads prior to that. 
Taylor then, I think the 11th round was probably his best round, and he lost a point. Uh, so, necessitating a 9-9 round. And then Catterall did pretty well in the 12th round, but I thought Taylor edged it. Um, Catterall, his body language was great. He was tired, clearly the lateral movement and, and, and the effort he put in and, and Taylor's roughhousing and, and front foot pressure, or at least attempted front foot pressure, completely sapped Carroll's energy. Carroll, by the way, is not putting on some sort of masterclass. I just think he's winning the rounds clearly. I say his approach was relatively basic, straight shots down the pipe. Uh, the lead hand battle was somewhat interesting, but uh, neither guy really established a jab too much. Carroll did more so. Um, I think they said that... Um, Josh Taylor didn't land in double digits until like the ninth round or something like that, which is insane for a guy who's usually uh, bang on it in terms of his, his activity. So going into the uh, into the end of the fight, I think I gave Josh Taylor three rounds. He was dropped. He lost a point. Carroll lost a point too. So we're talking... One ones of the top of my head, one one six, one oh nine. I guess if you give Taylor four rounds, one one five, one one oh would be fair. The scorecards were taking a long time. By the way, refereeing was terrible as well as the judging. It was this really bad shit show, getting involved all the time, uh, not allowing the guys to even work out of those clinches, which were, which were frequent to the point of making the fight. Hard to watch, as I say, compelling in the moment because the narrative unfolding was certain. I was it was unexpected, but uh, rewatching it today to to sort of get my head round the ebb and flow a bit more. Um, ready to record this podcast, pretty much unwatchable um, as a fight, apart from a few rounds here and there. To Victor Lachlan and Ian John Lewis, you are incompetent to the point of being utter corrupt cunts. Um, genuinely ashamed that you're involved with British boxing at the level you are. Uh, you're not bad referees, not great, so not bad. Um, as judges, you are both incompetent to the point of corruption. Um, and to those that defended it, um, Andre Ward at ringside, he sort of had it closer to the point he had Taylor winning, whatever. Um, was he ringside or was he just commentating? I'm not sure. Can't remember. Steve Bunce afterwards saying, look, the judges see it differently to you guys on TV. Look, there's no way. Unless they were sat on fucking Mars. They would have seen that fight anyway other. And, and by the way, I don't mind them having it somewhat more competitive. There were a couple of swing rounds in there. I don't mind having them having it somewhat close. But given in Taylor's best round of the fight, he lost two points. How do you have it to him at all? Less by pure incompetence, or at worst, blatant corruption. Steve Bunt said, "Look, there's no brown envelopes changing hands." That is maybe, but the fact matter is that if you think that judges aren't swayed in other ways, then then you've got another thing coming. I mean, the fight's in Scotland. Uh, it's a big, it's a big show. Josh Taylor's promoter, and the fact matter is that these judges probably want to get out of the arena without having. Shit pouted at them. Um, I don't think, actually, the crowd would have minded too much if Josh Taylor had lost because they seemed relatively subdued during the fight. 
Um, really come alive whenever he did anything. By the way, a lot of Josh Taylor's work was cuffing at best anyway. I mean, the rounds he was winning, it was because Carroll, was, his, his output had, had completely dwindled. So what happened to Josh Taylor? What was wrong with him? Um, yeah, so was it COVID? People saying Ben Davison's corner work was bad. That That's true. Um, ben Davison did, did at least seem to have some sort of sense of urgency later on in the fight. Uh, Taylor seemed completely befuddled by a completely basic outfighting approach. He looked tight at the weight. As a matter of fact, the performance was indicative of someone for me who, who is tight at the weight. It's that kind of last, last hurrah. If he does now go up and wait, it's going to be one a fight where he's... I mean, he's quite a deluded fella anyway, Josh Taylor, so he might not be that low on confidence, but my assumption would be that going up to the next weight, possibly for a fight with Terence Crawford, uh, or if nothing else, then some sort of decent-ish contender fight or welterweight, um, off the back of such a, a bad performance, generally that would not put you in good stead. But for me, like all the signs of a weight-weakened fighter... A fighter again who's probably struggling with COVID. If only you'd had the vaccine, Josh, you might have been all right. Um, yeah, let's just scale back quickly. Josh Taylor as a character. Um, by all accounts, a really nice lad. Lee Wiley works um, with him uh, and swears by the fact he's a really nice lad. Um, from what I remember, Tommy Robinson fan, anti immigration. Uh, yeah, loudly, you know. UK for uh, Britain for Britain sort of guy. Um, yeah, I, I remember him being a, a fan of Tommy Robinson. And if, I, if I'm wrong about that, I once called him out on it and he blocked me. So there is that. I think anti-vax, uh, anti-COVID, anti-lockdown, um, anti-common sense, essentially. Um, yeah, just for all his talents as a fighter uh, online... Gives the impression of being someone who's uh, someone you wouldn't really want to spend any time with or have a conversation with. Nasty as a fighter, love it. Um, you, we don't want our fighters to be uh, lefty snowflakes, and that's coming from someone who who is somewhat of a lefty snowflake myself. Um, if you can't separate the artist from the art, you're as big of a twat as they are, in my opinion. You'd have to be a fan of the guy. It doesn't mean you can't appreciate his style. And, and Lord knows I appreciate Josh Taylor's style. I think he's an absolutely quality fighter. Probably a top £10 for pounder going into this. And as I say, uh, a legitimate divisional great. He's no Costa Zoo, but as light weights go, a bastard division, he's a fucking good one. He's a fucking great one. All four bouts. Highly impressive. Uh, amazing achievement for a British fighter. But I wonder, going forward, what he's going to be like as a fighter. He must watch this back and think that he didn't do very well. Well, there was comments after the fight. Maybe suggest not. Maybe he has got that sort of unshakable confidence at that four-belt champions have, and, and rightly so. I mean, if I was one of the hardest blokes in the world, I probably wouldn't give a fuck about a dodgy decision either. But um, let's just have a look at his comments after the fight. It's good, the bigger shots, the better shots, the more meaningful shots. You know, so I, I know I won the fight. I know I won the fight, but it was a little bit close, but I know I won the fight. Yeah, I have to be honest with you. You don't score the fight, but the general consensus online, I know those guys don't matter, but the general consensus online was that Jack Catterall was unlucky not to leave here with the belts tonight. He put up a good fight, that's for sure, but he never won the fight. 
he never won the fight and he knows he never won the fight you know so I believe when they, they came along the four, the, the four five fifth six seven in the second half of the fight I started taking over so yeah it wasn't my best performance and uh, yeah but we moved forward we moved forward we got the win and that's it I have to ask you about the weight not that you would ever use any excuses for anything but all the talk is about how you looked at 10 stone 140 yeah, yeah, yeah. Is that your last fight at 140? Can you still campaign at this level and get I, the best, I mean, Josh Taylor? Yes, you honest, made it, but are you honest, leaving a lot on the floor? I made the, I made the weight pretty well. I made the weight good, but it is getting harder to make that weight. You know, it is getting harder. That most likely will be my last fight at 140. Um, but we'll sit down with my team. Um, I left it a little bit late as well to start the preparations for making the weight cut that fight with injuries and stuff. You know, so we left a little bit late and taking the weight off because I couldn't get the weight off with the times with my condition and the running and things like that with my knee injury and stuff so I left a little bit late to get the weight off but I still made the weight and I still performed but it showed a little bit of my performance but we'll sit down with my team but most likely that'll probably be my last performance at 140. That probably answers my next question. You're probably going to have to deal with some calls for a rematch. Would you entertain that or is that weight too much of a problem now that you couldn't do it again even if you had to we'll see how it goes yeah, I don't think there's any need for a, for a rematch I, I think I won the fight I won the fight with a couple of rounds I got I won the I won the fight in the second half of the fight you know I took over bossed them you know he was doing a hell of a lot of a hell of a lot of holding and spoiling and then I think the, the ref taking a point off me probably hurt me a little bit but I still won the fight I still won I thought I still won the fight you've kept holding your belts I hope you think I don't don't think I'm being disrespectful I pointed out you don't score it you've kept the belts well done thank you very much cheers now you may think I'm being slightly unfair by including that but I wanted to demonstrate something um, I actually said as the fight was closing down or as the we were ready to render the, the scorecards uh, the decision to be rendered I, I said on Twitter you know it's going to say he had a bad weight cut it's going to say he's moving up He's going to make all these excuses, and uh, he did. He did exactly that. He dismissed Carroll, but essentially he said, yeah, he gave it a good go, but he didn't deserve to win, and that's, that's it. Unflappable confidence, fair enough, we like it in a fighter, but British boxing fans don't forget. I always see online that, um, you see this quite a lot, I see it recently with Adesanya and his, and his competitive decisions. A relatively large MMA uh, Twitter account said, um, 20 years' time, people will just look at the results. Nothing could be further from the truth. That's simply not true. Context matters to, to a wide range of, of, of sports fans. Sure, there'll be some people that you know look at records devoid of context, but why the fuck would you care about what their opinion is anyway? Why are we pandering to the lowest common denominator? When it comes to British boxing, it's certainly not true. An easy fight for me, uh, there's a couple actually that spring to mind, but British boxing fans still speak about Joe Calzaghe and Robin Reed to this day. And that's a fight where if you watch it, um, I actually think Calzaghe won just about. Um, but Calzaghe's high points were much, much higher, much more impressive than Josh Taylor's in this fight with Jack Carroll. And Robin Reed was a fight of a, big, of a bigger name, much bigger name than Jack Carroll. And people still to this day criticise that decision and Calzaghe's performance. Carl Froch after the fight who said, look, Jack Carroll basically gave that away by not putting much effort in in the last couple of rounds. But of course he's going to say that. Because to this day, a small contingent of people... Um, I've got to drop this in, sorry. I mean, I keep saying it. To this day! To this day! To this day! But yeah, people still talk about Carl Froch and, and Andre Durrell, Um People that care. And why would you care about the opinion of someone that doesn't care? There's absolutely no doubt. In 20 years' time, when people talk about 
Josh Taylor's uh, status in the pantheon of legendary British fighters, or indeed in the pantheon of legendary light welterweights, people will remember. They'll remember how they felt when this decision was read out. They'll remember how Josh Taylor dismissed it, ran away from a rematch, moved up, and probably got slaughtered by someone at welterweight because, well... It wasn't just lethargic, he looked devoid of ideas against a relatively basic fighter, and a fighter who going into it, I didn't think much of. So yeah, people will remember. And the fact of the matter is, this has actually soured Josh Taylor's legacy at light welterweight. A guy who won all four bouts, and probably left on a complete whimper. Gonna have a little break and we'll come back, uh, more boxing. And some MMA too. So, thanks for listening. Hopefully you stick around and see you after this. Combat Chronicles Podcast is here to bring you previews, reviews and a look at the rich history of combat sports. The only way we can do it is with your support. So please head on over to www.patreon.com slash combatchronicles. But of course, monetary support is not the only way you can get involved. Head on over to your preferred podcast platform and give us a five-star rating and review to make the podcast more visible to others. Thanks for listening and back to the show. So yeah, more boxing. And uh, there was a big fight last week between Calbrook and Amir Khan. Again, one that I wasn't particularly interested in talk about. Um, the fight's five, six years too late at best. Um... Wanted Cal, uh, sorry, wanted Amir Khan to win. I'm just prefer him as a fighter. He's got massive balls. Always felt, uh, even going back to when it was first mooted, that um, Calbrook would be too sharp, too accurate, land too many uh, clean shots on that abysmal chin, and and, and get the finish. Um, it pretty proved to be the case. Uh, for me, the fight wouldn't have gone much differently years ago. Um, but it was a bit of a shame to see him both sort of. Uh, so much past their best and, and, and finally getting it on. Um, it's nice to see a bit of respect afterwards and, and Khan hinted at retirement. Um, for Calbrook going forward, what do I think is going to happen? Um, there's talks of him going up to middleweight to fight Chris Eubank Jr. Um, for me, I prefer to see him stick closer to the weight if, if he can't make it. He made it this uh well, made it with a rehydration clause, so with no rehydration clause, I'd love to see him stick around and fight Conor Ben, who I've never been particularly sold on, but by virtue of his uh, improvements and the fact that he's beaten guys who are, are known commodities, um, I had no choice but to say fair play to him, and, and yeah, he's a, he's a legitimate fighter. I think it'd be a pretty big fight for, for Eddie Earns stable, and yeah, Calbrook Cal versus um, Conor Ben. I mean, for me, I don't really want Calbrook fighting anyone too good. I think I, I still think he's relatively past it, even the fact that he beat uh, Calm without much resistance. That's just not fair. There was some resistance, but he, he beat him without many issues. Um, I think that's fair to say. Yeah, Calbrook, not that compelling for me as a, as a fighter going ahead. Another guy who's not at all compelling for me as a fighter going forward is Guillermo Rigondel. Um, a fighter who was once... Funny enough, Calbrook was once in the top 10 pound for pound by, by the ring. That's... I found that out recently. I forgot it at the time. Uh, well, no, sorry, I didn't realise it at the time. Or maybe I just forgot. But someone showed where he was. I think number ten, pound for pound. Never really got that. Um, seems like Sean Porter's been overrated for his whole career. Um, 
yeah, I think never really got that. But with um, Calbrook, he, he was in top ten pound for pound and fall from grace. Josh Taylor, top ten pound for pound, fall from grace. Guillermo Rigondeau, maybe one of the best pound for pound fighters of his era, not greatest but best. Um, immense fall from grace, but I think he is about sixty years old now. And whereas Luis Ortiz, as the uh, buffer of being a heavyweight, where being old and shit is uh, actually being good is not a prerequisite to being good, and being old and shit is not that much of a problem. Um, Rigondeau fighting guys who are uh, small and speedy um, very much is. But yeah, um, Rigondeau fought a uh, non notable um, Filipino called Vincent Astralavio. Um, maybe in the height of my reading Asian boxing, which is still one of the best uh, Twitter accounts and, and, and websites out there. Um, I would have known who he was. Um, nowadays, um, following only certain scenes and, and the wider boxing uh, scene, I'm not aware of him. Uh, 16 and 3, uh, 12 knockouts. Um, seemed a pretty pacey and uh, energetic guy. Um Commentary did bode well. Um, about less than a minute into the fight, um, one of the uh, uh, commentators, um, I guess it's Dubai, it was in Dubai, uh, one of the commentators said this. Oh, good counter from uh, Ringendal. But if you see, like, Rigondo, he's doing his comeback after a very long time. His last fight was with Lomachenko. No, yeah. no, he fought after Lomachenko. Did he? I mean, he's fought five times, including a world title fight with John Real Casemiro, but I guess you're we're under a rock for the past couple of years. I mean, don't get it wrong, Rigondale has not exactly been setting the world alight, but you're commentating on a fight with one of the most notable fighters of all time. At least have half a fucking clue what he's been up to. Um, but yeah, um, actually like what the young Filipino lad did. Um, managed to get inside Ringendo's jab, managed to establish his own, managed to fire shots off, mix it up head to body. Uh, Ringendo looked completely shot, um, was badly hurt um, in the sort of ninth round and uh, was it the eighth? Watched the whole fight, it's worth watching. Uh, and then you'll find out where he was dropped. But um, yeah, looked out of sorts. Um, tried, was competitive, had his moments. Um, absolutely out on him as a fighting force going forward. And yeah, he's done. Uh, probably in his prime should have been down at flyweight or, or super flyweight or bantamweight as he is now. Um, so it has to be commended for being one of the better super bantamweights of his era. Um, the win over Nanito Donaire gets better and better day by day. Certainly you can never take away from him. Um, but he's a fighter for me who was... Uh, he was the sum of his parts, but he was n- he's never going to be as great as his talent uh, should have made him, uh, I think. Boxing aficionados will remember him fondly. Um, will remember how great he was at his dizzying heights. Um, never really been sold on his chin. Um, the fact that he's managed to have the career he had with that dodgy chin, and I, I do think it's dodgy. I think people will disagree with that, but um, he's been... He's dropped by Cordoba, he's hurt by Marroquin. Obviously, he's dropped by Donair. There's nothing wrong with that, um, especially considering how he, how he bounced back. But um, I think a couple of fights back, he was trading in the pocket and seemed to get stung multiple times and this one badly dropped um, by a, a guy who might well be a decent puncher given his knockout ratio but a, a relatively unheralded um, fighter so yeah uh, Rigondeau's done um, is he an all time great uh, he's probably a great super bantamweight um, you'd be surprised how tough it is to get in at the, at the low end of that, that top 10 but he might well make it I 
so it's fair. Talent wise, um, just an amazing counter puncher, uh, ring general, uh, in his prime, just reflexively gifted, um, could see things happening three steps ahead. Um, I'll never forget what it was like when he eventually got to turn pro, given everything he went through, um, escaping Cuba. And uh, as an amateur, obviously one of the best of all time. And just a phenomenal, phenomenal fighter. But given he's billed at 41, he's, he's probably 48 or 51 or, or 65. So, um, yeah, uh, sorry to say, but stick a fork in the great Cuban because he's done. As for the Filipino, yeah, I'd say I liked some of the work he did and, and um, established his jab well and managed to get his shots off and I like the variety. So, yeah, going forward, I'd gladly watch him again and he has a marquee win that I, I didn't even know Ringo was fighting yesterday until I'd found out that uh, he wasn't doing very well and then uh, I didn't get to see it live. Uh, watched a little bit of it last night after the fact and then caught up on it uh, this morning. Just, just a shame. Uh, but... Well worth a watch. I found it relatively enjoyable from a neutral standpoint, but if you're a fan of Rigondo, one to miss, unless you want to confirm your suspicions that uh, one of the great fighters of our era, or certainly one of the best and most talented fighters of our era, is um, unfortunately done. But we use another boxing match to segue into the MMA portion of this episode, because in quite a bizarre one on Friday night, uh, Magomed Ismailov fought... Uh, Ola Duradola, who I've mentioned before on the podcast, talking about the last great um, cruiserweight era, uh, and and uh, Ishmaelov won. So a guy who had his one foot out the door in terms of MMA retirement after his uh, loss in the rematch with uh, Miniev uh, last year, which was, for me, one of the best mixed martial arts belts of last year. Um, we've seen him training recently at Tiger Muay Thai in Phuket with become uh, Sachimaev, amongst others. Seems that he's renewed vigour for combat sports. He's now boxed a formerly ranked cruiserweight, a guy who once went uh, tit for tat with the feared Russian sledgehammer, Kudrashov. Uh, Duradolo, he's seen better days. Um, there could be no doubt about it. He's now in his 40s. He's still in pretty good shape. Um, he gets stopped in most of his losses, but he's a good fighter and a big puncher. Um, as I say, you know, if you can survive a war with Kudrashov, he did in the first one anyway. Um, he had a pretty good fight with Makabu as well. Um, you were mentioned on... I guess it was the last episode. Or was it a couple of episodes back? Yeah, it was a couple of episodes back now. I'm losing track of time. The world, the the world's moving fast, and, and this year's flying by already. But um, bit of a weird fight. Um, I thought it was bare knuckle originally, which would have made sense. Um, because it was a bit of a freak show fight, but it ended up just being straight boxing. Ishmaelov won. Um, no surprise that he was gassed out of his ass by the end of the fourth round. If it was a sixth rounder, I think Duradola would have stopped him. But it wasn't a sixth rounder. It was it was a four uh, four rounder. Um, Ishmaelov did some pretty nice things. I was actually quite happy with how he boxed. Um, uh, good lead and work. Nice uh, wide right to set up the straight left. Um, some pretty decent counter punches, slipping underneath and coming back up with the uppercut. Um, Movement-wise, you know, ragged and, and not particularly impressive, but did what he had to do. Um, needless to say, he was strong in the clinch. Uh, and needless to say, he hit a, a, take, a trip takedown <laughs> late in the fourth round to get himself some breathing space. Um at the end of the day, that didn't mean much. I think it's pretty cool that um, a mixed martial artist has beaten a somewhat notable fighter in a boxing match, um, fair and square. Um, as of recording, it's not on Duradola's 
box wreck, so I'm not sure if it was an exhibition, but it was ostensibly a real fight. It looked like a real fight, and um, Ishmaelov won. And uh, I just hope that it renews his vigour for combat sports and he gets back in MMA rather than uh, proceeding with boxing, which won't end well for him. Um, even though, as I say, this is, a, this is an impressive win. Uh, well worth your time. It's only four rounds, so 12 minutes, and, and well worth a watch. Um, for me, I'd love to see Ishmaelov and, and Miniev in, in the UFC because both 185 and 205, um, which Ishmaelov can fight in, in both divisions, but him and Mini have done at uh, 185 would be great for a division that's very top-heavy and needs a talent injection. Um, yeah, all in all, a bit of a weird fight. and I've liked Duradola for years, so it's bizarre to see him losing to a mixed martial artist, but uh, worth a watch and, and a perfect segue, not only into the MMA section, but uh, into the part of the uh, podcast where we talk about another guy who would be a decent addition to the UFC's 185 division which we'll talk about after this. Another win and another night and weekend of people telling us that Gergard Musasi is one of the greatest pound-for-pound fighters of all time. Look, um, I love Musasi. I've done for years. Um, you know, I started, I think, the first time I watched him was in Dreams. I watched him for years. Um, thought it was a shame that he left UFC when he did. Um, he's given us some annoying nights over the years, some middling performances, but generally he's a really well-rounded fighter and I really like the guy. But um, being told online that to not... But straight after the fight, you know, you've got Shaheen Al-Shati of MMA fighting saying, seeing Musasi slander, people, the young fans need to respect their legends. It's like, Mate, I'm fucking probably been watching MMA longer than you have. You don't get excited because he beat Paige Van Sant's boyfriend. Um, I think I've watched Vanderford, Austin Vanderford once, and he was middling at best. Um, not not a great fight, uh, no great shakes. Clear to see going into the fight. Um, as soon as it started, that Musashi had his measure. He was countering him straight away with the, with the backhand and uh, dictating pace. Um, Vanderford looked completely out of his depth, and Musashi smashed him uh, in a little over a minute. Um, was landing good counter punches, dictating range, dictating pace, and. Uh, just pissed it, basically. Really easy fight. To leap from that to, see, Musashi is the best in the world, or one of the best in the world. I mean, yeah, he's, he's still a top 10 middleweight, as I've said in this uh, podcast already. It's, it's a top-heavy division worldwide, let alone in, in, in UFC. Um, but, uh, yeah, getting that excited, because Musashi just beat a guy who wouldn't be in the UFC's top 50, um, I don't even know if they have 50 on, on the roster, but, you know, he's bad for Bellator, um, let alone in general. Um, this just annoys me. It's this kind of gatekeeperism, this kind of hipsterism of, like, you know, acting that anyone doesn't think Musashi's one of the greatest fighters of all time. And I saw it recently, actually. Someone said, I don't know if it was me or someone, or I saw the conversation, someone said, look, Musashi is probably, like, top 50 of all time. And I saw someone say, like, surely you mean top 10, or surely you mean top 20. And it's like... No, Musashi is not one of the twenty greatest fighters to ever live. Despite having, if you look at his resume, he's got so many, so many good wins. Um, and you know, it doesn't mean that he hasn't had peaks and troughs in his career, and you know, there's been certain big fights that he's lost, and it doesn't mean that he still wouldn't be competitive with Whitaker and Adesanya. Absolutely, I mean, I'd probably still pick him to beat Darren Till. I'd love to see him back in the UFC, but this kind of gatekeeperism of um. 
talking down to people because they don't automatically think that Musashi should be given an instant title shot upon return to the UFC is fucking ridiculous. It's like, he's, he's, he's relatively modern fuck, was he? 36, 37? Even relatively new MMA fans, and I'm coming around to the fact there are some which are really new, but relatively new ones, guys that have been into the sport for you know 10 to 12 years, would have seen the majority of Musashi's career and would have a good handle on him. Um, it's, it's utterly bizarre that this keeps happening. I'm happy to see him win. Happy to con- see him continue to pile up bodies in, in Bellator. Um, the guys I mentioned earlier, Miniv and, and Ishmaelov, would, would give him a really good fight, in my opinion. And um, I didn't see anyone freaking out, saying that fans needed to uh, get behind them after their amazing fight last year. Because generally, like people that write for publications like MMA fighting don't really watch the sport outside of stuff that's on American TV. So, um, yeah, I was, I was quite embarrassed for them uh, with that. Um, but happy to see Moose win, and, and hopefully he, he will eventually get back to the UFC. But I don't see it happening. He probably gets paid half decent money to style on either middleweight bums or uh, or, or previously good welterweights in Bellator. So, um, yeah, going forward, I don't know what's going to happen, but I just wanted to sort of make the comment that, yeah, great, great performance from Musashi, did what he had to do, anything less than that, and I would have been more surprised, rather than being taken aback by how brilliant he is, I'm more like, well, Musashi's fighting a guy that I don't rate, and who's mainly known for fucking Paige Van Sant, but respect to him for that, I mean, I'm sure some of us would like to do that, but um, personally, when it comes to fighting, I care more about fighting prowess, um, and to wrap the show up, speaking about fighting prowess, not really much to speak about. Islam Makachev beat Bobby Green. Uh, late notice for Green. Uh, I think going in, would have thought that I would have met with some resistance, more resistance. Uh, Bobby Green sort of tried to fight. Grips on that takedown attempt. Didn't manage it. Didn't get into a rhythm beforehand. Didn't get into his groove. Can sometimes take a little while to get into his groove anyway. Uh, just got whomped uh, by Makachev. Um, who got mount relatively easy. Like a knife through butter, which is a shame. Um, Bobby Green sometimes does give up bad positions in order to try and uh, advance and get in better ones or, or try and get out the back door. Wasn't going to happen here. Um, do I think the stoppage was premature? I, I think the stoppage was premature. It was TKO, um, ground and pound. I think the stoppage was premature and also correct. Um, I think at that point in time, there was no real need to stop it. Also, I didn't really see Bobby Green having much of a chance to advance his position. So I'm second guessing myself. Um, thinking that okay, probably just stopped any more punishment happening. But generally, didn't really think that Makachev had landed too many serious blows anyway. Um, the optics of it with Bobby Green sort of starting the turtle and covering up only slightly um, didn't look great. But he was, if not trying to advance position, he wasn't really, didn't really seem to be given much of a warning either. Um, but generally, late notice fight. Makachev beats a guy. Who, Probably should be top 10, but it's maybe not even in the top 10, Bobby Green. I'm not sure. I need to check. Um, probably going to get a title shot after uh, Chucky fights uh, Gaethje. Is it deserved? I mean, he's on, a, he's on a long win streak without... I don't think he's even beaten anyone in the top five. Was Dan Hooker top five? Not sure. Um, it's not really anyone else, though. Um, I'd love to see Makachev fight McGregor first or fight a more well-known fighter first. I'd probably pick him to win that fight. Um... I think his quality 
but again, a bit like the Musasi thing. It's like if you if you don't think Makachev's the best thing since Habib Nurmagomedov, you're some kind of fucking loser. Apparently, um, sorry, I just I want to see him do this against someone who's legitimately proven at the top 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 of the sport. I haven't seen it yet, um, although you know. Really, really good fighter, and um, I'm sure he'd give uh, Chucky Olives a, a damn good argument. Uh, but generally, in terms of the fight, what we saw, and given the late notice, um, it was inconsequential. And uh, I think we were all wrong in hoping that we'd learn more about Makachev in this fight. And uh, Bobby Green commended for taking the fight late notice, give the guy a couple months off, and, and give him another decent fight because he's earned it, uh, quite frankly. Uh, one of the most sort of beloved fighters amongst hardcore fight fans, and uh, yeah, the guy's been fighting for so long, and, and he's really getting some momentum. And hopefully, given that he didn't take too much damage, even though he lost in relatively decisive manner quite quickly, um, in a way that that's good. Hopefully, he won't lose too much momentum and, and can build from that and get another decent fight. And I'm sure the UFC will commend him for saving the uh, card on ten days' notice. Will they fuck? But um, hopefully, he got a decent enough payday. Um, good fight Bobby Green I like him and um, he's capable of so many more fun fights as I'm sure Makachev is I think Makachev once he actually meets some stern resistance we'll, we'll meet we'll learn more about him and we'll see uh, more of what he's got um, I'm not doubting for a second that the guy's elite I think he is elite even given the fact he hasn't beaten an elite opponent yet I think everything uh, in terms of the visuals in terms of the skill set he's shown um, points to the fact that he is you know he is the sum of his parts. Um, I'm not saying I need to see him beat Dustin Poirier before I can even say he's good. He's clearly fucking good. Um, but um, late notice, Bobby Green did not provide the resistance we may have hoped, uh, and and thus we we know about as much about Makachev after this fight as we did before. Uh, coming up next week, what have we got? We've got uh, Colby Covington versus Jorge Masvidal, right? Pretty decent undercard as well, so we'll get to that. I have two Patreon episodes coming this week. Uh, we're going to have another Royal Robbery. It's going to be uh, the rematch between uh, the champion of featherweight, Alex Volkanovski, and Max Holloway. As we gear up, uh, getting closer towards Volkanovski's uh, total defence against the Korean Zombie next month. Or hope he's fine, but I'm hoping the uh, Korean Zombie gets injured so we can have the uh, third fight between Volk and Holloway. Never usually just just an ingrown toenail or something. I don't want the guy to get. I love the guy, but you know, you know, bad haircut, anything to get him out of the game. We want that. We want that fucking third fight between Holloway and Volk, right? Who doesn't? If you say you don't, you're lying. Uh, and the much threatened uh, look at my top ten boxing matches of all time, which I am recording, but it's a lot of editing, and you'll see when 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 we get to it. It's obviously a lot of sound clips, like I like to insert and that sort of stuff. So hopefully you enjoy that. It's going to be a good what hour long podcast. So. Um, that would just be for the patrons at www.patreon.com slash combat chronicles until next week thanks for listening again i'm kyle mack and this was combat chronicles see you next time
planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health-monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.